6 and verse number 19 tonight. And I've got this uh, microphone on, so if you can turn that on for me and turn this one off, that'd be perfect. But Matthew chapter 6, and of course we've been talking about for some time now the Sermon on the Mount. And here and there we've had to take some time away from that for different things, but uh, money, money. When a pastor mentions that, a lot of times people start to cringe, you know. So if you're one of those people, it's time to start cringing because that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Uh, the basic thought in this passage on the uh, this, this passage of the Sermon on the Mount is that God is after your heart, and what you do with your money reveals and leads your heart. He says this in Matthew chapter six and verse number nineteen: "Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through." nor steal, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, to say that, that uh, what you do with your money reveals your heart, to say that, that what you do with your money leads your heart, may sound kind of contradictory, but I, uh, I can assure you that it's not. So tonight, what I just want to do for a few minutes is examine what Jesus was trying to get across in this passage about money. Let's pray, and then we'll look at a few thoughts tonight. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you for the service we had this morning. Thank you for getting us through the different things that were uh, really obstacles that the devil put in our path this morning. And I pray that, uh, that the parts and everything that we need would come in for this uh, furnace so that we can get everything back up and running by next week. And, uh, of course, I pray that you would uh, bless us tonight. God, I thank you for each person that's here. We're here because we want something from you, and especially as we look at this, the, the greatest sermon that was ever preached and, and just... Everything in it, obviously, the content of all of these things is so important to us in our lives. And so I pray that you'd help us as we look at these, uh, these thoughts on our money tonight, that you would just help us to have uh, open hearts to the leading of the Holy Spirit in, in whatever way you want to lead us. And I pray that you'd bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want you to see is this. I'm going to have you look at a few passages, so you might as well turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to get there in just a second. But the first thought is this. Jesus is not saying here that we should not save and invest our money. It's not saying that we shouldn't save and invest our money. There's, there's some people who interpret this passage as meaning that Christians, you know, Christians should not have a savings account, let alone some kind of investment portfolio or something like that. Uh, they say that saving shows a lack of faith. And look, there are people, good people that I know, that have decided that they're not going to put a ton of money away. They're going to just trust God for the rest of their life. And if that's what they want to do, great. But what I'm saying is this passage does not say that we have to do that. Uh, they say that, that, you know, these, many of these people who espouse that this is saying that we ought not to have any money laid up here on this earth. They say that it's selfish. There are huge, huge numbers of needs in the world, and all that money that's sitting in a bank account could be going to take care of those needs. And they say that, you know, saving up money, investing your money, takes away from the money that could be invested in the Lord's work. Um, this, again, is a case of, of taking one verse and taking it out of context of the rest of the Bible. Uh, now, if this is the only verse in the Bible on money, uh, then I can see how someone would come to that conclusion. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. You know, you shouldn't have investments. You shouldn't have, you know, money saved up. But if we were only to take that interpretation that I'm wrong to save and invest on the earth, then I would be violating a lot of other scriptures. And I want to look at a few of those tonight. The first one is this in, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. And, and here's the first principle, I guess, that I'd be violating, and that's this. I have a responsibility to provide for my family. 
I have a responsibility to provide for my family. It says that very clearly in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's not a task that I can rightly shuffle off to the government, especially, or to somebody else. It's not somebody else's responsibility to take care of my family. It's my responsibility to take care of my family. And, of course, I have to do that just like I do everything else, depending on the Lord to take care of us and all of those things. But the provision of, my financial, uh, of the financial needs of my family is laid directly on me by the Lord himself. Directly in line with this is the principle of prudence. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 22. I have a responsibility to provide for my family, but we also have a responsibility to be prudent with our money. The idea of prudence is, is, is the idea of preparing now to meet or handle a potentially difficult situation in the future. The Bible says this in Proverbs 22 and verse number 3. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. A wise man, the Bible says, is a prudent man. He develops a plan now for what he'll do if his house catches on fire. You know, he installs fire alarms. He, he, he has, uh, you know, I know we used to do this in school all the time. I guess I can't really say a whole, a whole, that we've done this a whole lot, but conducting fire drills and things like that to make sure that you know how to get out when something happens. You buy insurance on your house so that if a fire destroys your home, you're, you're covered, right? Well, think about all that money you spend in insurance and how many people never have a house that burns down. All that money wasted that could have gone to God's work. But that's, that's a man that's being prudent. That's a man that's taking care of his house. That's a man that's, that's, that's handling his money well. In other words, we're, we do our best to prevent and to prepare for a calamity. Now, we hope it never comes, but sometimes it might, and sometimes it does. If I've done nothing to prepare for a financial disaster, then the only viable human option that I have when a, when a disaster ha uh, does arrive is to go into debt, right? I can go into debt, and I can, you know, I can... I can stay in debt for the rest of my life, but God specifically discourages his people from going into debt. You're probably not too far from there. In fact, you're not. You're, you're just a couple verses away from that. In Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 7, the Bible says the borrower is servant to the lender. I mean, he's very, very strictly discouraging us, and, and there's a lot of passages in the Bible that, that encourage us not to be in debt. It's true that a fire may never happen. You may never, you and your house may never end up in a flood. You may never have your house destroyed in a, in a tornado or something like that. But old age is going to happen to most of us, if not all of us, you know. And our strength of mind is not always equal to the task of being able to go out and work. And so we've got to set money aside. That's what a prudent man does. A prudent man prepares now for the probable time in his life that he's not going to be able to work. We also have to be careful not to get so focused on saving that we forget to live now. You know, and I think a lot of people do that. And you see this, you know, well, it happens, it happens with all kinds of people. I suppose it happens maybe more with people who don't have as much money. They start saving, 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 saving. I'm going to do all of this stuff when I, you know, when I have this much money saved up. We're going to have all of this. We're going to have this huge nest egg. And then they have this huge nest egg. And then they're too old to enjoy any of it, you know. You can't, you can't go back and make memories just because you have money. You can't, you can't go back and live and do the things that you would have been able to do when you were 20, 30, 40 years old that you can't now do because you're 70, 80, 90 years old, right? So uh, yes, save, yes, invest, but be careful not to just pile up money uh, for the sake of piling up that money to use later on when you are missing out on great opportunities to, 
to use some of it at least today. Now, Proverbs chapter 30, I think the classic example of, of uh, this idea of saving in the scripture is the ant. He says in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 25, the ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. And if you look back at the verse before that, in verse number 24, it says that in doing that, they're very wise, right? Uh, they're exceeding wise, he says. And if God tarries his coming, then we're all going to end up at some point in the winter of our lives. And he says that the ants, they're strong people, but they're wise because they prepare their meat in the summer. Wisdom says that we ought to prepare now while we have the strength to meet the needs that are going to come when we don't necessarily have the strength later on to do that. So that's the idea of prudence. Here's another thing that, that we violate scripture when we say that we shouldn't save any of our money. Look at Proverbs chapter 21. God very specifically tells us not to spend everything we make. And of course, implied in that is that we're to set some aside for the future. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it all up or spendeth it up. And I, and I think, you know, whether you're wasting all your money on the lottery or whether you're spending all your money, giving it away to the, to the, to the beggar on the corner of the street, um, you know, the practical result is the same. You have no treasure left, and the Bible says that that's foolish. Now, certainly God will bless us when we give, when we give, 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 give. There's a lot of principles in the Bible that talk about that as well. But we also have to be wise in how we spend our money and what we do with our money. God tells us, even in, in Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 22, and we won't even take the time to look at that, but the Bible says that, that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children. <clears throat> For me, it might be a dollar or two, but I'm going to leave him a couple bucks anyway, right? Uh, and, and I think there's, there's, there's some wisdom in that as well. I mean, there's so many people who hoard, 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 hoard so they can give everything to their children and to their grandchildren. I mean, you look what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes. You know, all of that is vanity. It's all vexation of spirit because you don't know how the money is going to be spent when you're gone. You have no say in how that money is going to be spent when you're gone. So it, it doesn't hurt to, to leave them a little bit of something. But uh, who was it? I, I forget. Uh, uh, I don't know the actors and actresses and all that stuff, but he's a pretty famous guy. He's, a, he's an oriental guy that does a lot of uh, martial arts stuff. Anyway, um, man, the name is on the tip of my tongue, too. Jackie Chan. He, he's got millions and millions of dollars, and I know he's made lots of different movies and so on, but he said, he t he said uh, and, and I, I, I hope I don't misquote this, but he said when he dies, he's not leaving one cent to his son. He said, if, I, if, 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 if I've raised him the right way, then he'll be wise enough and smart enough to go out and make his own money and make his own fortune. And if I haven't, then all he's going to do is blow it anyway. It's not a bad thought, you know, but, but I say all that to say that the Bible does say, you know, we can't, we can't leave an inheritance to our children unless we spend wisely, unless we save, unless we invest, unless we avoid debt and all those other things. Uh, and, and I think most of us understand that idea. Most of us understand that, you know, okay, the Bible says lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, but that we have to we have to invest. We have to, you know, use our money wisely. We have to save our money where we can so that we can prepare for all of these other things. Most of us understand that. But the problem that most people have in misapplying this passage is not that they're giving away all their money. The problem that most people have with misapplying this passage is that we hang on too tightly to our money. Um, we worry about it. We obsess over it. We spend it carelessly. Tom Brennan 
wrote a book on the Sermon on the Mount, and, and he actually had a great statement about this. He said, money becomes a worry or goes beyond that to become an obsession. It is spent carelessly or foolishly on creature comforts and fun, and then there's nothing left to support the work of the Lord. Alternately, it's grasped and hoarded with such a miserly grip that only death can pry a nickel away. And that's what happens with most of us, you know? We, we end up holding on so tightly to the things that we have that we go well beyond investing. We go well beyond saving, and we hoard it. And, and that's, not, that's not something that, that God is in favor of as well because of this second point. Jesus is saying here that piling up money in this life is essentially pointless. Piling up money in this life is essentially pointless. It's pointless because there's, you know, number one, because the natural tendency is for valuable things to lose value, right? I'm sure you've probably heard this before, but you go, you go to a car lot and you buy a brand new car and it loses about $10,000 value the moment those tires hit the street, right? They lose value. Uh, things lose value over time. Some people, some people pile up money by piling up the things that money can buy. Boy, I'll tell you what, some of these houses, uh, I, I worked with Brother Matt Smith doing some of these moves here and there, and, and I would build some crates for him and, and do some of these different things. And you go into some of these houses, and they just have three and four truckfuls of stuff. What do you need with three or four truckfuls of stuff? I'll tell you what, we, we lived in our house down in Chesterfield for 10 years, and when they moved us, I mean, we didn't even have a full truck, but um, we put everything into that two-car garage. And I'm telling when we started going through that stuff to put it into the house, I said, how do we even end up with this much stuff, you know? And we got rid of so much of it because we don't need it, you know? It's, it's just going to sit. I mean, and how many people do you know that, that, um, that, that have these? I mean, do, do you realize what the, probably one of the biggest businesses in this area is besides building apartments? Storage units. Everywhere that a brand new building is going up, pretty soon you see a sign that says new storage units are coming in. Why is that? People have 3,500, 4,500 square foot houses, and they still don't have enough room, so they go rent two or three storage units to put everything in it. What good does it do to be sitting in a storage room, you know? Most of these people have, have stuff that sits in the storage for 10, 15, 20 years, and then finally, after 20 years of paying on that thing, they go back and they throw everything away anyway, right? Because it's all outdated, it's broken, it's, you know, all of those things. But why is that? It's because people have a natural tendency to hoard things. They have a natural tendency to pile things up that money can buy. The house gets bigger and bigger. Their cars get more luxurious. The, the clothes get fancier. The great problem with this, as Jesus mentioned here, is that moths and rust eat away at those things, at those, the, the money-holding piles. Because fine cars, as fine as they are today, eventually are going to rust. Right? And, you know, I'm, I suppose you could keep it in a garage and do all those kind of things, but fur coats over time are going to get eaten by moths, right? Uh, another way of saying it is that we, we do with our money, what we do with our money often results in a loss of that money uh, because we, we just buy and buy and buy, and then those things eventually, they, they go away, you know? Uh, that's the natural tendency of life. If inflation eats away at your purchasing power, you know, you can have millions and millions saved up. Inflation comes along and it's gone. Economic downturns can erase your earning value. Cars depreciate. Stock markets plummet. Fine clothes rip. I mean, things lose value over time. And so to hoard those things, Jesus is saying that piling up money in this life is essentially pointless. Even assuming a, a financial approach that spends money wisely and carefully, the normal course of, 
of events chips away at our, uh, at our money and our earnings and the things we buy with our money, it's pointless because the natural tendency is for valuable things to lose their value. It's also pointless, Jesus is saying, because you can't ever ensure that what you've piled up you can even keep, right? He says that. Lay not, uh, uh, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moss and rough dust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. You know, if I save dollars, I risk losing them in a great economic crisis. I risk, you know, uh, I, can, I can invest in all the, the, the wise investment choices and everything else, but if the economy turns down, I, I lose all of it, you know? Uh, but instead, you know, I, let's say I use my money to buy gold, and yes, I'll be protected from inflation, but I'm not going to be protected from the thief who wants to steal the gold that I have, right? There's always going to be somebody that comes along that's got a bigger gun or more guns than I have that are going to be able to try to take that money away from me. And I'll tell you what. We haven't had a situation like this in America, but wait till inflation gets so bad that, that people are looking for a loaf of bread and then see, then see what you can do against a thief that's trying to steal your stuff, you know? Um, nowadays, it, it, it doesn't even require a gun to steal all your stuff that we have piled up. It just takes a, a reasonably bright Russian hacker across the world and all your money's gone overnight, right? Uh, but, but that's what happens. One of the saddest and most misinformed approaches to life is piling up more money equals more security. It doesn't. It equals more worry. Look at all these people who have millions and millions and millions of dollars. Right? They talk about it. I'm not happy because I don't know where all my money's going. They always feel like somebody's stealing something from them. They always feel like somebody's trying to take advantage of them. Look, do a search online of, of all the people who have won the big jackpot in a lottery and see how happy their life is. You know, most of the people who earned that money to have millions of dollars, you know, usually they spend it fairly wisely. That's how they got that way in the first place. But, you know, you think, oh, it'd, just be, it'd be great to just hit the jackpot in the lottery, you know. Overnight, they have five million friends that each want a dollar that they have, right? And most of them, within, within a matter of five years, end up with less than they had before they won the jackpot. And their life ends up miserable. Look it up, and you can read all kinds of stories about that. The weight of how to keep and how to grow a pile of money just keeps constant pressure on a person. So Jesus is saying that essentially having a pile of money is pointless. Here's the last thing. Jesus says that a wise man invests his money in heaven. Look what he says in verse number 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. See, in heaven, nothing deteriorates. In, in Howard Dayton's book called Your Money Counts, he talks about, he, he gives an illustration of a, of, a, uh, of, of a Virginian during the Civil War. And what he did is he used a bunch of Confederate money to purchase Yankee greenbacks. And I, did, you know, I don't know exactly what the whole process was about that, but uh, if you look back in hindsight, that says that that's a, that's a great move, you know, because eventually, uh, and even when, I mean, he did all of that when the, when the CSA was winning the war, you know. He bought all these greenbacks, and then, of course, eventually the, the Confederate dollars ended up being not worth much at all. Uh, but a lot of people on earth look around at life and think that all that, you know, that, that everything you can buy, everything you can hoard is all that matters. But when you look at that in hindsight, and you realize that, that it wasn't all that matters, and then it's too late. It's a wise man who, who takes money that's only temporary and uses it to purchase something that's eternal. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here in this verse. Our church gives money to missions. 
Some of that money goes to help them build buildings over in, on the mission field in other parts of the world. And occasionally you hear about a flood or a hurricane or, or you know, uh, a vandalism or, or you know, whatever dam damaging those buildings. Did we lose that money because we gave that money to missions and those kind of things happen? Of course not. Because we're giving, those, we're, we're giving that money to God's work and that is laying up treasures in heaven. And, and, you know, on top of that, we're, we're not using that money to buy buildings. We're using that money to help them reach souls for Jesus Christ. And those, the souls that they win can never die. The souls that they win with the money that we give them to be able to buy tracts and Bibles and, and, and carry on the ministry there. Those are things that are treasures that are in heaven that cannot be taken away. In heaven, nothing deteriorates, but in heaven also nothing gets taken. Lay not up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. When I was in college, um, we had uh, everybody, uh, the, the dorm rooms were set up where there was four beds and then four basically closets, and each closet had, two, had, a, had a big cabinet above it and then two drawers below it. But built into the closet was a little lockbox, and it was your responsibility to make sure that you kept your box locked. But that was where you could keep your money or, you know, whatever you felt was valuable. And what was happening is people were noticing that their money was being taken. And they would come and they would, you know, they, a lot of people just, I mean, you just trust that people are not going to steal the stuff that you have in there. And so they put the lock in there, but they didn't lock it, you know. You'd get in and out of it enough that you just didn't lock it. And I did the same thing. And I went in one day to get some quarters to go do my laundry. I had a little cup full of quarters, and almost the entire cup was completely empty. I mean, there was like a couple quarters left in the bottom. I was like, who in the world would have come in here and taken all my quarters, you know? And then other people not started noticing that their money was missing and things. And, and the thing is, I mean, it's a, it's a college dormitory. There's people coming in and out of there all the time. And they said, how in the world was this guy getting away with stealing all these things? Well, it turns out that somebody happened to walk into the dormitory during a church service and found him rifling through some of the rooms in there and caught him red-handed with the money in his hand. And uh, he ended up getting expelled from school and everything else. But they, you know, uh, he, was, he was in there stealing during the church service, and that explained, nobody, explained why nobody was ever there to catch him, you know. Uh, but in heaven, that doesn't happen, you know. You can pile all your money up on this earth, but thieves cannot get into heaven, and the people there don't turn into thieves. Uh, the, 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 you know, the, the third reason, I think the most important reason that a wise man invests his money in heaven is this. Your money is connected directly to your heart. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across in this last verse, in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's why it's so important to occasionally preach about money. Um, and that's, that's why it's so important what you do with your money. When you stop to think about it in a sense, money is life. The first job that I ever had was working with my dad. He owned Invisible Fence, and, you know, they bury the line for the dog. The dog wears the collar and all that stuff. My dad got into that when it was a brand-new company, took a big, really a big gamble on it, and Invisible Fence ended up becoming a very big company. And so he did that for about 25 years, I guess. He owned the dealership up there in northwest Indiana. First job that I had for him was making $2 an hour helping him when I got paid, if I got paid. $2 an hour, but, you know, I would get, they, they would pay me and, you know, maybe $150 or something like that. You think about that, though, it was 75 hours of my life. That little $150 right there equaled my life. And when you go out and work and you get a paycheck, the paycheck that you hold in your hand, the money that you have equals your life. Money equals life. 
And money is just more than some, you know, fuzzy intellectual or societal concept that allows us to obtain the things that we want, tangible things that we need in order to survive. But it's a highly emotional, it's a very, uh, it's a very deeply personal thing that, you know, how, how much money you make, most people don't know that, right? And you're not just going to walk around telling everybody how much money you make because that's a personal thing, you know, how, how much money you have, how much money you owe, how much, you know, how much money you spend on certain things. You don't discuss that with very many people. They're deeply personal things because they get right to the heart of your life. If you think about it, there's a direct connection between money and your heart. Money's connected to your heart in two ways and will be done. The first way is how you spend your money reveals your heart. How you spend your money reveals your heart. If you were to let me walk back through the last 12 months of your bank statements and see where and how you spent your money, that'll tell us a lot about you as a person. Where do you spend your money? What do you spend your money on? So often what we say we love or what we tell other people that we love is not actually what we love, and the proof is in our bank statements. You know, uh, do you love your wife or do you love your hobby? What do you spend your money on? Do you love your children or do you love your buddies? What do you spend your money on? Do you love yourself? Do you love alcohol or tobacco or gambling or any of those other things? Do you love cars? Do you love sports? Do you love your parents? Do you love the Lord? To answer those questions honestly, all you have to do is look at your bank account and see where that money was spent. And that'll tell you very honestly exactly what you love. I heard a pastor tell a story about a lady in his church. He got an urgent call from her uh, kind, of, kind of around the first of the year. She was preparing her taxes, and she needed to give her statement to her tax, uh, the, the person that was preparing her taxes. And so for some reason, some, somehow she hadn't gotten her tax statement in the mail. And the pastor didn't do a lot of the work with this. A lot of times it was the financial secretary that did it, but somehow the financial secretary overlooked this woman's tax, um, or, or this woman's giving record, and, and forgot to send her a, uh, a giving statement. And so she called the pastor, and she said, I need this thing. I'm, I'm going to my tax preparer this afternoon. I just realized I didn't have my statement. Can you find it and, and see if you can get it to me? And so he started digging through, and, and he looked and looked and looked. And, and after an hour or so of searching, the financial secretary find it, finally called him back and told him that this, that this long-standing member, this lady that had been a part of his church for a long time, had not given one dime that entire year. And so he called that lady back, and he had to tell her, the reason you didn't get a giving statement this year is because you didn't give anything this year. You know, I, I understand mitigating circumstances, and, and, and of course, you know, you want to cultivate grace and charity in those times, but you can't tell me that she loved her church can't tell me that she loved her Lord when she goes a whole year without giving a dime to his work. How you spend your money connects your heart. Since your money equals your life, what you're spending your money on and what you're putting your money into is what you're putting your life into. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is trying to get across in verse number 21. What you put your money into, you are essentially putting your life into, and the more you put your life into something, the more you're going to love it. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Give your money to the Lord. Invest in heaven. Gradually, you're going to, be, you're going to get to the point where you love him and where you love his work. Because what does he say? 
where your treasure is, there your heart is also. When Jesus stood on the side of that mountain, overlooking the Sea of Galilee, preached the Sermon on the Mount, for the very first time, he was not after people's money. Jesus didn't need people's money standing there giving the Sermon on the Mount. He's not after money now. He has no need for money. It's not about money. And the same thing is true in our church. Obviously, we need money to operate, but I'm not worried about whether or not God's going to give us the money to do this. He's called us to do this work. He'll provide for his work. It's not about the money. This message is not about getting more money for our church. It's about your heart. Because if he doesn't have your wallet, then he does not have your heart. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to get across in this passage. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Examine yourself this evening. Where's your heart? Challenge yourself tonight. If you realize God doesn't have your heart, I can tell you one way to give it to him. Give him your money. Because the more you give to him and the more you give to his work and the more you give to those missionaries who are going around the world and doing God's work, the more your heart is going to be where your money is. Because the more money you give to his work, the more life you're giving to his work. And the more of your life you give to his work, the more of your heart he's going to have. And the more of your heart is going to be in it. Put your money to use in the Lord's work. It is, it's very simply the best thing you can do with your money. Support missions. Encourage somebody that's going through a difficult time by taking them out to lunch. Put your offering in the offering plate every time you get paid. That's how we can give to the Lord's work. Put your money where your mouth is and watch how your heart follows. You give to the Lord's work. It's not going to be long before your heart's in it too. That's how you lay up treasures in heaven. Amen. You don't see a hearse with a big U-Haul truck behind it. You can't take it with you when you go, but you can send it on ahead. Amen. And that's exactly what he's talking about, about laying up treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for the time we can spend together here tonight. And God, you know my heart on this. It's not about money. It's about making sure that our hearts are in the right place. If our hearts are in the right place... The money will follow with no problem. If our money's in the right place, our hearts will follow with no problem. So God, I pray that you help us to have right hearts, right motives, wisdom in what we do with our money. That where our treasure is, there may our hearts be also. Pray that you'd speak to our hearts tonight in the only way that the Holy Spirit can, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand at your seats with your heads bowed and your eyes closed.